Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online, a YouTube and podcast channel where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. This is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Parenting Team of the Apostolate for Catholic Truth. Presented with the lens of the Theology of the Body, we will see how we can be a sincere gift of ourselves to our kids in ways that will help them find true happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Hui and I'm your host for this podcast. Today, we will be talking about anxiety and self-harm in children. In 2020, Singapore reported 452 suicides, the nation's highest count since 2012, amid the isolation and psychological distress brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. Among youths aged 10 to 29, the number of suicides rose by 7% from 2019. And in a report released by the Ministry of Health last year, that is 2021, mental well-being was a challenge for 52% of the youth who were polled during the second half of 2020. Among the top stresses cited by the youth, 53% cited anxiety over the future, 41% over stress over finances, and 39% worried about academic or work performance. No doubt, this was probably complicated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet, the figures do suggest that not all is well, and mental well-being is indeed a huge challenge for the youth of today. As for self-harm, a study among Singaporean adolescents in an outpatient setting reported that the prevalence of self-harm has been consistent at about 23% from 2013 to 2018, which seems to be a rather worryingly high figure to me. With these in mind, we are very happy to have with us today Dr. Penny Tok. Penny is a psychologist in private practice who specializes in developmental, educational, and counseling psychology. She has taught and practiced psychology in Singapore, New Zealand, and in Europe. While she supports families in a wide range of areas, she has a personal interest in autism as well as in anxiety in children and youth. Penny has been back in Singapore for the last eight years and while running a busy practice, manages it in a way to ensure she has both quantity and quality of time with her husband and two young children. Welcome to the podcast, Penny. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're very happy to have you with us because it's a very, very important topic, which I'm sure many parents would be quite concerned about. Yeah, yeah. so we're really happy to have you with us. And um, perhaps as a start, would you like to share with us a little bit about your family? You know, how many years have you been married and how many children? How old are they? Um, well, my husband Paul and I have been together for, we were just doing the sums the other day, trying to calculate, and we figured out it was about, I think it's been about 13 years we've been together. We've got two boys. Um, the older one is turning, well, he'll be eight this year, and his younger brother's only, well, will be five, will be five soon. Yeah. Okay. So what have you been your biggest challenges and enjoys raising your children so far? Um, I think one of the things which we've kind of learned along the way is when people talk about planning a family, the focus has always been on the fun parts, you know, having someone to play with, to raise them, you know, discovering more about your children and being with them. Um, but I think a lot of times people don't really talk about the tough part. And parenting is really, really tough. And I think it's, it's you know, one of our best friends said to us, oh, it doesn't get any better. And we were panicking at that point. <laughs> we're like, what do you mean it doesn't get better? And I think what he meant was the challenges change. 
along the way. So initially it was, I think it was the fatigue that really struck us. You know, you look on Facebook, social media, everyone's posting very happy pictures of them, you know, having fun, going out. No one's posting pictures of, you know, like spew on the floor, them covered in diapers. And yeah, you're just too tired to take those pictures, I think. <laughs> yes. So I think that was one of the key things is the fatigue. You know, how much time you really have to dedicate to the kids. And I think another one which a few friends and I have have talked about quite um, in quite a lot of depth, actually, is how children can really get to our emotions, not just in the good way, you know, all the few good feelings that you have for the kids, but also in terms of pulling up, you know, bringing to front our own anxieties and our own frustrations and, you know, making our own personal shortcomings really obvious that we then have to, you know, put aside some time to work on those and to acknowledge as well as to, to work, yeah, to, like I said, to work on those as well. So those, I guess, would be the biggest challenges. Now, I understand you have an interest in the areas of uh, autism and anxiety in children and uh, youth. Would you like to share with us what inspired or motivated you to go into these areas? Um, I think it started with um, before going into university, you know, just like every other or most other kids, you kind of go, what am I going to do? What course should I take? And I knew that, um, you know, the more traditional routes of business accounting, those were not interests of mine. So then, you know, spent a whole lot of thinking and wondering about it and reflecting. And then it realized, oh, actually, I kind of like being with kids and youth and helping and working with them on some level, um, which then also then became the, no, I don't want to be a mainstream teacher. Uh, my sister went into that route, but for me, I realized it's not for me. So then um, I actually have a cousin uh, who sadly passed away already, but she had Down syndrome. And so then, you know, interacting with her made me kind of realize, oh, actually, I think this is a field kind of ticks all my boxes. I want to work with kids and youth. I want to be able to be in some kind of helping professional. Um, so that was it. And then at university, we're also very lucky that um, there was a clinic that worked with um, autistic individuals. So that was really kind of the turning point in terms of, yes, I want to work with autistic individuals in particular. And then a lot of it under, you know, and realizing that with a lot of autistic people, um, there was a lot of anxiety, anxiety in the kids themselves, anxiety with the parents, anxiety of teachers working with them. So, so then, yes, anxiety then became the other thing that kind of um, popped up on my radar. And I thought, OK, that's something I want to deal with. And also, I think experiencing anxiety myself. It was a personal journey in addition to wanting to assist others, but a personal journey in learning how to manage it myself on an everyday basis. Yeah. On this topic of anxiety, what do you think are the main causes of anxiety facing um, children and youth today? I think it's quite different in different countries. So, you, you know, like having that experience in New Zealand, there isn't the academic stress, at, at least not from a very young age. So, you know, if I'm looking at anxiety across all children and youth, I would say the culture does play a bit of a difference as well. Um, not that, you know, people in New Zealand or in Europe do not have anxiety. But I think one of the things that's kind of come up quite clearly in my experience in Singapore is anxiety with regard to education and learning. Because from a very young age, the high stakes kind of education setting um, tends to be one of the key things. So even some of the youths that I work with, um, if their anxiety kind of worsens or gets a bit more significant when they're in a teenagehood, when we kind of look back, um, a number, a significant number, we realized that, oh, actually the anxiety start, started to pop up when they were in primary school. Exam stress, 
you know, um, concerns about being able to perform or underperforming or, you know, so there, I think definitely in Singapore, somehow the education side of things um, seem to, to make that a challenge. And then I think for some of the other individuals as well, I think it's just the high, um, the fast pace of work sometimes, you know, like parents trying to juggle everything and children with their busy schedule. So a lot of um, taking in, but not a lot of offloading of that stress until it kind of piles up. Um, but I am very glad to see that, you know, at least in Singapore context, there's been so much in terms of even at the primary level, secondary, um, polytechnic level, university, so much more emphasis on mental health and trying to catch it early rather than let it snowball. Um, so I know I kind of deviated a bit from your question, but um, yeah, so I think, you know, there are different issues. Some, of course, in terms of anxiety and its causes, some are, um, they are genetically predisposed as well but then something in their life kind of flips the switch and then you know anxiety kind of develops and like I said earlier if it's not um, managed early enough then unfortunately that anxiety can lead to unhealthy habits and then it just gets worse as they grow older yeah I fully agree with you I think that um, uh, we need to check these out early as, as early as you can and I think um, at this point I think I Parents have a very important part to play mm-hmm. and uh, because they are the primary caregivers um, and they know their children best, well, at least they're supposed to know their children best from uh, very early on in childhood, right? So what do you think uh, parents can do to um, address this issue uh, even before it crops up, perhaps um, what we in uh, public health would call uh, primary prevention? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you think parents can do in this area? Um, one of the key things is actually, I think would be good is to check our own anxiety levels. Um, because like I said, you know, I, that's anxiety is something I deal with. And sometimes, you know, even my husband reminds me, Penny, is that your personal anxiety? <laughs> that's kind of, you know, yeah, you know, or reflecting your personal anxieties or is it the, our son's anxieties? So I think one thing is, yes, being able to, um, set aside time to, you know, kind of work on ourselves, take care of ourselves because, you know, as the old saying goes, you can't pour from an empty cup. But I think because the the giant parent um, guilt, it's always trying to take care of them first, right? You know, like sometimes I have to remind people that come in as well. Remember, even on the planes, they say take care of yourself first before you, you put the oxygen mask on your children. Um, so I think that would be the first thing to take care of themselves because when they are cared for, parents are cared for ourselves, then we are in a better position to actually spot some of the signs and symptoms. Um, the other thing is always to just keep talking to your children. Because one of the things that um, studies have also shown that even if the child is struggling, but if the child is willing and able to tell you about it, that itself is a major factor because, you know, I'm not keeping it in. I'm not worrying. I'm not um, building it up inside of me. I actually have an outlet. And that's so that would be the other thing. And it doesn't have to be every, not every conversation has to be a deep and meaningful one even if it's just talking about school or playing a game together, because that's how children kind of really communicate is through games. And through then, you know, then sometimes some of the things come out um, when they're talking to parents. One of the things we have at home here is what my son terms chitty chatty time. And so before bed, they try to get mommy, mommy, it's chitty chatty time. And, but then I have two. (laughs) So we have to roster both of them, one and then the other. And even just stealing little bits of time, like walking my son to wait for the school bus that comes. You know, we kind of use all those little periods of time, the transition time to try and establish a connection 
right? Because quite, so, quite often we are so ready to just go, go, go. But then just putting the pause a bit. Um, and I think so those will be the key things. And then for parents, uh, what we usually ask parents who start, who are concerned, right? The two things we say is, oh, look for things that are new behaviors. So new behaviors like, you know, anger, um, thought, uh, words that they use as well. So if you notice a change in the tone of the, the, the voice, the words they use, um, their overall emotional health that you can observe, the observable parts. And then also observe for kids if there are areas where things that they may have been interested before, you know, like activities they're interested in, but they suddenly stop being interested in those. You know, so we, so we try to encourage parents, just look for change, changes in dietary, uh, diet, for example, sleep patterns, you know, so these were things to just kind of be mindful of. And then if they notice that, okay, it's starting to have an impact in terms of relationship at home, um, school performance and such, then maybe it might be time for them to, you know, go and speak to someone about it and raise their concerns. Um, yeah, it sounds like um, it would be very important for parents to, number one, maintain a good line of communication with the children. And number two, having a very good relationship with them whereby they can just be bonded with them through various activities or even non-activities, but just being there for them and uh, understanding the children well so that the moment they find any difference in behavior and uh, um, interest, they might actually have to be alerted. Um, am I right to say that? Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's the same thing where if let's say kids go for, you know, um, psychotherapy or any kind of support, uh, there needs to be engagement. Right, so that's where the thing we always encourage parents is we know you're anxious about them, you're worried, you're probably even frustrated. But the more we display these big emotions, younger children in particular, and in and even youth, you know, they then get overwhelmed with the emotions and then they decide to clam up. Right, they clam up, they can't talk to us anymore, and then you know, we, we get shut off from what's happening inside. So, yes, definitely the engagement, um, and just spending time with each other because quite often we get parents that say oh I don't know I'll go find out I was like oh how do they sleep I'm not sure the helper puts them to bed let me go home and find out you know and I don't it's not therefore you know it's just kind of the the way life is sometimes so it's it's just I guess it's when there are signs and symptoms that need to pull the brakes and then we might need to pause everything and start paying a bit more attention but what what if uh, parents uh, realize that there is some change in behavior and some change in their children's, you know, um, yeah, behavior, so to speak. So what do you think parents can do if they do suspect or are concerned that their children may be having a higher level of anxiety than um, they can uh, cope with? Um, so one of the things would just be to go back to the kids themselves again, try to, you know, chat with them. I would advise against asking them directly, are you anxious? Are you worried? Especially for younger kids, because they were priming them into thinking, oh my gosh, now I, now I am anxious. Um, so even just, you know, talk to them. And then if they are concerned, go and seek help. Um, there are various services out there, you know, that they can, various channels. I think a number of people, um, that, that we've spoken with, you know, their first line is talk to friends, talk to family members, you know, they have children of similar ages, and then, you know, see where that takes them. And if the concerns really grow, then go and get some uh, professional support. Yeah, that, that's a very good advice. Um, thinking about the possible consequence of anxiety, right? One of the things we mentioned just now was actually self-harm, all right? And it seems to be something which affects quite a number of our young today. Um, would you like to explain to us what 
um, this phenomenon is, uh, is all about and what are the causes of self-harm, how perhaps prevalent is this in our society, um, and what should we as parents look out for to prevent this and to really intervene as early as we can? Yeah, um, incidences of self-harm don't just start, you know, in terms of... In, in, that way there will always be little signs you know like we talked about little signs of anxiety either withdrawals or changes in behavioral patterns and also when individuals do start self-harm it's they're very cautious and very careful about hiding it so typically even if there is self-harm very often parents and family members or teachers themselves don't realize it because it's either done for some individuals like girls in particular they do it between their thighs or under, you know, on their wrist where their watch will cover it, or, you know, somewhere where it can't be seen. It's not common for them to do it in areas where it's easily visible. So it, it will be hard for parents to, to notice. Uh, and usually it comes with just an overwhelm. You know, they don't plan to self-harm. It, it just happens as, you know, they just mentally are unable to cope anymore. And then it turns into a physical means um, so quite often then, if parents do notice as well, so the first one of the first lines is we always remind them, just keep them visible, be vigilant. So especially because we don't want it to escalate, right? Uh, and if the child, if your child, you know, regardless of what age your child is, brings it up to you, um, stay calm because we don't, like I said, you know, they are, it takes a lot for them to open up to someone. So I would encourage parents to stay calm, you know, have a chat with them about it, seek some help. But one of the things that would be useful is um, to remove, you know, at least initially, just to remove things that might be a bit dangerous or, you know, um, items that might be a bit, um, might put them at risk. And, you know, like I said earlier as well, increase visibility. So spend more time with them. If studying or revising for exams, that's what happens to a few of our kids, you know, when they are doing their homework and then it gets overwhelming. So, you know, maybe moving study areas to the living room or to the dining area where they can be surrounded with other people. Um, so then it just breaks the whole process and the habit of doing it. So those would be kind of the key things. In terms of prevalence, I, unfortunately, I don't have those numbers. But yes, definitely, I think the numbers you talked about earlier in terms of the increase, um, that is very alarming. And I think especially in the Singapore context, it's not just the pandemic because there's been an upward trend already. So we just need to be, you know, be vigilant, be mindful. And, you know, mental health is just like, you know, primary health. It starts way, way before. We don't want to jump in when it's already happened. So just taking that time to to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, actually some of the younger patients I've seen who actually have um, expressed some possible intention of self-harm or actually have practiced self-harm, um, a number of them actually um, shared with me that uh, it was the undue expectations that their parents placed on them, you know, um, on their schoolwork or on their achievements in other areas, uh, um, in sports and ECAs, uh, things like that. Um, do you think um, that could be a, an important part of, uh, to play in uh, um, development of self-harm and anxiety? I think sometimes, yes, I wouldn't say all, but yes, sometimes, I mean, we've had, you know, kids come in and um, they're very tired and like, oh, why are you so tired? What's your schedule like? Oh, I've got school in the morning and then I come home, I rest for half an hour and then I have to go off for tuition and then I'll come back and then I have to do my homework and then I rest for another half an hour and then it's dinner and then I have tuition to 10 p.m. And I'm like, you have tuition to 10 p.m. You know, so I think sometimes that is a cause, but of course, like I said, you know, sometimes... 
uh, the parents can be. I've also met parents who are the most chilled parents who don't place any demands on the kids, but the kids place the demands on themselves, right? Or it's the school environment. So it's multiple factors. Um, but yes, but some, I think it does exacerbate the situation when they just do not have any downtime. Yeah, yeah that's true. And uh, I think um, basically, since this podcast is for Catholic parents, you know, um, all of us, one of the things um, we would most likely do is to pray, right? Yeah, so I think the faith does play a very important part in, in many of our family lives, I believe. And um, do you think, uh, are there any studies which are well that show that children and families um, um, with the high practice of the faith have actually lower risk of anxiety and self-harm. And if you, um, if you, if you do, can you share some of these findings with us? I don't, again, I don't have a lot of detail, but there is a study which is uh, a meta-analysis of a number of various studies that they've looked all together to look at the um, different aspects of faith. So looking at just, you know, religious faith, looking at uh, self-harm as well, because we know some religions um, actually um, are against, you know, Again, it's not a good word, but, you know, not for suicide and, um, and for good mental health. So but there are some studies that actually show that um, religious faith does act as kind of a, a support system in the sense that helps to prevent mental health, not, but not uh, to prevent not mental health, to prevent anxiety. But then not only that uh, in terms of the prevention, but also in terms of managing it. So managing chronic stress, chronic anxiety, um, there's quite a number of research out there. So I'm, I'm more familiar with research papers that look more into the ritualized behaviors of religion that can also be very soothing, very comforting. But I think some point to the religious relation, the, sorry, the relationships that we have with God in our, uh, in our religious practices that can be a real buffer as well as a real support um, in mental health. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I agree because actually even in my own um, area of um, uh, life in this area and parenting my kids when they were younger, um, quite often whenever issues came about and they were quite stressed by certain things and everything that came to us, we said, you know, yeah, let's talk about it. And after a while we said, okay, I think let's pray about it too, yeah, <laughs> because really there are so many things that we can't handle, you know, to let let the big boss guide us, you know, we, we tell them and uh, that actually does help them as well because they know that there's, in a sense, someone else in charge and that they themselves are not the ones who are responsible for the for all the outcomes in their lives, but they're, they just have to trust that, you know, things will turn out well somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that really helps because, you know, quite a number of people, they've come in and, you know, they've gone for, you know, like religious-based counselling as well. And there are definitely a number of people that I've, you know, I've encouraged. I said, well, you do what you need to. And sometimes it really uh, can speak to you on a deeper level, not just on a mental level, but on a spiritual level as well. And that, you know, very often that seems to make quite a difference um, in terms of their, their recovery as well. Mm, yeah. So actually, if parents now, let's say they do find out, of course, they would like to talk to the children about it, spend time with them pray about it um but are there any uh, perhaps helplines or avenues that you recommend to parents to turn to if they need help for example professional help should they find out that children uh, are at risk of uh, further self-harm and uh, so if so what can our parents be referred to um so for for in singapore of course they can go through the public health system route um the public health system route meaning they can go through depending on the age of the their child so they can go through for example the polyclinics to get referrals um, I do know a number of parents that have explicitly said to me you know I'm a bit concerned about going that route just because of waiting time or you know um, 
But, so those are some of the concerns, but of course there are private practices that they can go to as well. Um, but of course the cost, that would be, be quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. But I know that the, um, for example, the Catholic services, there are a number, some of um, the people I've worked with, they go for the, the counselling services available there as well. Um, and I think it was just last week <laughs> that I referred someone over as well. Um, so they can do either either route the public route, which the polyclinic will refer them over to either institutes of mental health, but there are also satellite clinics around Singapore, not necessarily having to go all the way to Bangkok. Um, yeah. But also, of course, then private practitioners, uh, practitioners around that they can yeah. go to, to. And there are, um, like I said earlier, there are a number of um, non-profit organizations that they can turn to for help as well. Yeah, I, I guess from the Catholic point of view, I, I would um, what comes to mind would be Catholic Family Life with their counselors. Uh, I think as well as uh, Morning Star. Yes, and I, if I'm not wrong, Monford Care as well. I think these mm. are some of the organizations that uh, do have a counseling services for us who might need that. I, I see. okay, that's great. And um, um, after what we've discussed so far, um, it is possible that some of the parents uh, listening in might feel a bit guilty if their children do exhibit such behaviors or have exhibited such behaviors and they might in a way feel responsible for it but i'm sure there must have been many other factors like you mentioned right that uh, would have contributed to the distress that children uh, would have felt you know um so for these parents who might feel a bit guilty perhaps um you know uh, do you have anything to share with them and to encourage them in this area yeah i think the guilt is you know i think the guilt is um to be expected because, you know, as parents, we put so much um, expectations on ourselves to care for our kids. And then when we miss something as big as this, you know, it's it's not surprising that they feel the guilt. Um, but I think they, we need to move on from the guilt. You know, just take that guilt if you have any, sit with it for a few moments, process it, and then kind of let it go and move on to the next stage because it's kind of like with the number of the you know, people that come to me for support, I say, look, the, the past is always important to look at, but, you know, don't stare behind too long because you need to look forward as well. So just move on, think about, you know, support services and find someone to support you as well. So if you do still have that guilt that you're finding it difficult to let go, chat with someone about your own guilt uh, and then, you know, just move on, find somebody to help you, take you through the journey because it, it is going to be a difficult one. You know, so just gather people around you your support, your own support systems and, you know, find a way to heal both your own um, guilt as well as help your, your child. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe uh, that's absolutely true, actually, Penny. I fully agree with you. And I think um, one of the things we really need to do as parents is to be able to forgive ourselves, right? Yes. Yeah, I think sometimes we just can't um, do so because of the immense guilt we feel. Uh, so I, I think yeah, it's, it's so important for us to really have that grace to be able to forgive ourselves. So maybe start off with going for a good confession and really uh, finding solace in, in our Lord that uh, yeah, they can actually uh, find comfort in Him and, and really get that forgiveness from Him because He can nothing, nothing is beyond His mercy, right? So I think we need to really uh, uh, entrust ourselves to His mercy and then move on from there, yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, I understand you're uh, having a kind of a, a session, uh, a public uh, Zoom uh, seminar for parents on ADHD on 26th of March, uh, 2022 this year. Uh, would you like to share with us a little bit about what you are going to talk about and uh, what you'll be presenting that morning? Okay, so, um, yes, this is part of our series that we hope to do 
we hope, we hope to do. So we started it in December. The first one in December was on autism, but we're hoping to do, um, you know, every quarter we do one, uh, cover one area. And it's a free session for anyone who's interested to attend, be it a parent, uh, a teacher, anybody that really wants to learn a little bit more. And the key idea behind it is to share information about these disabilities so that, you know, can people can understand it, accept it, and then help other, each other in this journey. So we're looking at attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It will cover basic you know, information about what ADHD is, and the emphasis will be more in terms of, so now that we know a little bit about it, what can we do to help these individuals? So be it uh, from a parenting point of view, but then also from a teacher's point of view, and just as a human point of view, really. So, you know, to, to understand a little bit more about this disorder. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's um, something which is very uh, ill understood uh, by many of us, even among those of us in the medical profession and in, in, in such professions, right? Um, uh, very often, we, we don't have enough grasp of the issue, and we might not be able to guide our, our, our own patients sometimes adequately. And I find that in my own practice too, and I think this is something which should be useful, not just for parents, but even for, for professionals, I would think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, Penny's been wonderful uh, having you on this uh, uh, podcast and um, wondering before we end off would you like to have any other um, final words of advice for for our parents before signing off um i think one the main thing would be don't be so hard on yourself it's it's hard enough being a human sometimes <laughs> it's we've got the additional responsibility we want to be you know with god's grace you know raise the children as best as we can but we are human and we do make mistakes it's it is a journey and you know seek help get get speak to someone you know talk to your husband your wife your family members you know just speak to someone if you have concerns and care but also mainly just remember to take care of yourself you know parents need care too and not just our kids yeah just just like what you said right on the airplane give us the oxygen first before you can attend to your children isn't it yes yeah, yeah. that's right so the oxygen in terms of our the supply that we can get from our lord upstairs right the oxygen we need to share with ourselves and with our spouse. And then when that is stable, we can share better with our children, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been uh, wonderful having you uh, on this uh, interview, um, Penny. And it's uh, it's been really quite a, a grace to, to have you here. Uh, thank you very much thank for you, being uh, part of this. And uh, we hope to see you sometime soon. Perhaps uh, sometime later, we can talk about some other issues, like maybe even yeah, ADHD perhaps and other <laughs> special needs that uh, children might have and uh, can be a challenge for parents. Sure, that would be nice. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. So take care. All the best then. Okay. Welcome. Well, thank you everyone for listening in. I'm sure we had a fruitful time listening into Dr. Penny Talk, clinical psychologist in private practice. For those who are keen to attend her workshop on Saturday, 26th of March, 2022, you can either email her at admin at drpennytalk.com or call or message her office at 8858-4153. Till we meet again next week when we'll be discussing with Dr. Jennifer King as to how we can help our children flourish. Take care everyone and may God bless you and your family always. Goodbye.